Hi, I'm Diana Alt. I connected with Pablo in the comments section of a virtual summit. And here we are. I just recorded this podcast. I think you should connect with Pablo because he is open to the coolness and the weirdness of all different types of people. And I just love that about him. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, In my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person, and therefore has something to teach you, and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome back to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. I am Pablo Gonzalez, your Chief Executive Connector. And today we have a new friend, my new friend, Diana Alt, who I met at Justin Schenck's Growth Now Movement Summit, is a career strategy coach on a mission to help you be the boss of your career so you can find ideal work, be valued, and get paid. She's a connector who uses her experience in corporate roles and as a business owner to help promote, uh, to help people make the most of their work life instead of feeling like it is a long, slow march towards oblivion. We connected around the idea of the importance of corporate culture as I had just finished reading Jim Collins's latest book. And I love the way that you were talking about it in the chat during Justin's event. We started a side DM where we were um, talking about the things we liked and making fun of the things that we didn't. And we mm-hmm. became fast friends. And now you're on the show, Diana. Good to, uh, good to see you. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I just, it's not very often that you hang out in the comments section at a virtual event. The next thing you know, you're booked on a podcast. But I was really drawn to what you had to say about corporate culture because most people think it's like foosball tables and office snacks and that there's one type of good corporate culture and all that is BS. So. We're gonna get into we're gonna get into all those different types of BS in this conversation. But Anna, yes. I know that I know yes. you do your homework. I know you listen to the podcast. You know that I have this like thesis, and it's all about human connection. And the two quickest ways that you connect with people is you add value to their life, or if you share, which we're gonna do in this conversation, right? Or yeah. if you share a vulnerability, and somebody hears you and they see themselves in your struggle, then they're more likely to connect with you and pay attention to what you're saying. So I ask all my guests to share something that you're either struggling with right now or something you struggled with in the past so that our friend that's listening in his or her ear will hear from you, think you're human, and then we talk about all your superhuman skills. I love that you do this, by the way. One of my favorite 
people to follow on the planet is the woman that I call our lady queen of courage and vulnerability, Dr. Brene Brown. So I'm a big, I'm a big fan of discussing vulnerability in part because just a few years ago, I thought that this is not what you did. I thought you did. I thought you did strong. I thought you did. I've always got this the whole nine yards. So my, my thing that I'm dealing with a lot right now is realizing how little I know about the, the business that I've chosen to go into and that sounds scary, like, oh my gosh, she's a career coach. Doesn't she know anything about career coaching? I know the coaching side. I've had a lot of success and I've been doing that for seven years, but I'm in the stage where I'm building digital products, building audience, trying to blow this thing up from where it previously is side hustle level into maybe not quite a large empire, but perhaps a mini empire. And there's a lot of skills that I'm having to learn along the way. And face the reality of delegation because delegation sounds good in theory. And then when you actually have to let stuff go, it's a lot harder than you think. So that's what I'm struggling with right now. Man, when I say that I echo with that, I I cannot tell you how much I echo with that, right? Like I'm also very similar to you. I know what I'm talking about, but the execution as a business owner on all these different things that you need to know yes it's pretty daunting right like how do you how do you move forward with it right? like how, what's what's what are you learning here so one of the biggest things that was an aha moment for me a few months ago and actually you know i'm still struggling but at least i have a plan of attack and i kind of know where i need to go is i'm not that great at execution which is a weird thing to say because I spent 20 years in corporate either leading teams to execute or executing myself. But I'm a big strengths finder nerd or Clifton Strengths. They've rebranded it. Been a big Clifton Strengths nerd for over 10 years. And I use it in my coaching practice. And about, I don't know, like maybe nine months ago or so, one of my clients that I had asked to go do their Clifton strengths and we went through it as part of coaching and analyzed it, called my bluff and said, you know what, we just went through all of mine. I want to see yours. And I didn't have a problem doing that. So I dragged my assessment back out that I hadn't looked at in a while. And six of my top 10 strengths are in strategy. Three of them are in relationship building. None of them are in execution. And so that was a big aha moment for me of like I'm struggling because I'm trying to do all the things. And my strengths and where I like to sit are not doing all the things. So I'm in the process of trying to hire an integrator part-time to help just take some of this project management and operation stuff off my plate. And I also have already hired a VA team in the Philippines to do some website development and, you know, administrative stuff. And that's been the absolute best thing that I've done. So I'm on the path, but it was hard. I had to recognize that the thing I'd been doing for 20 years actually is not my top strength in order to even begin making progress. Oof, man, once again, <laughs> like, yes, I, that was me. That was me July of last year when yeah. the opens op- the heavens opened up and an integrator fell down from heaven for me and wanted to be my, my business partner, which has been amazing. Oh, like, that's so cool. Yeah. But it's still, listen, even, even when you have the integrator involved, there's still like this like final 5% of communication because I think I'm like you, right? Like I am fully, fully strategy and relationships and 
I hate replying to an email, right? Like it's like, I, I, I can't do that stuff. Right. But, and much less setting up a strategy to like set up my time to reply to emails or whatever. Right. Like I, 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 you know, I, I don't know if I'm describing you, I'm just describing myself on the, like, I, I struggle with the minutia, but it's, it's that last like 5% of connection to the integration that happens and then getting used to the process that now as that flywheel spins a couple of times, it's starting to like catch steam, but it, it takes a while to just get used to it. It does. It takes a while. Well, this goes into team, teams in general. Mm-hmm. So no matter what people's strengths are, it takes time. I mean, Tuckman said it best. What is it? Forming, norming, storming, performing. Like we have to give it time for people to figure out what they're doing and working on a team together. I actually spent 20 years in corporate IT roles, like development, project management, product management, before I jumped out on my own to do career and business coaching. And what I figured out is I'm pretty good at putting a structure in place, but then on individual projects, I would get tripped up. So for example, where I wanted to have an integrator to come help me is to take, basically to be my Roy Disney, like, let me be Walt. I need a Roy. Like I have Roy for my clients, but I need a Roy for myself. And so I will spend a lot of time just on putting together what should my new mini course look like in Kajabi? What should the email campaigns be? All this kind of stuff. I'm fighting against it and trying to teach me technology instead of spending my time being Roy. And I just need to separate that out. Nothing makes me matter than whenever I have to test stuff that my website team has done. I love that they've done it. I'm happy. I send work to the Philippines, to this amazing team of people, and it comes back. But I got to still look at it. And I'm spending too much time on that. I shouldn't be testing it. I should be, you know, checking the box that, yes, I trust that my project manager and my website team has gotten it done. And I have the final look and we're good to go. So it's just reallocating my time. That's a big thing I need to do. So yeah, makes, makes a lot of sense, man. That is, that is super, super universal. I find when I, when I ask people this type of stuff, right? Like it, it has a lot to do with self-awareness and how to build a team out around you based on, based on yeah. that, that you're lacking. All right, let's get into your superpowers. Career okay. strategy coach. How does, yeah. how does, how does one become awesome at that? Talk to me about, talk to me about your how does one because awesome at that. So I like to say that I started coaching cause I don't know how to not coach. So from the time, I don't, you know, I can't remember when I really started being this kind of person, definitely by college, maybe back in high school and earlier, but I've always been the person that was trying to figure out what other people needed and wanted and point them in that direction. So when I was in college, you know, I was, I was the recruitment chair for my sorority. And then I was the new member educator for my sorority, like different things like that, always trying to make sure people are oriented. And then when I went into corporate life, it wasn't too long before I was mentoring people that were just a little bit behind me in their IT careers on how do I progress? How do I talk to my boss about things? How do I look for a job? I started my career shortly before the tech rec, a 2001-ish timeframe. So I had to teach myself pretty quick how to effectively look for a job against people that were more experienced than me. And then had to go through that cycle again in 2008. By 2008, I had people management experience and more confidence. And I'm a natural coach. So I started helping people who'd been laid off due to recession with what they wanted to do. And it wasn't for me simply a matter of, 
well, let's just tune your resume to make sure that at the time monster was like the biggest thing monster and dice. Those were the two things everybody used. LinkedIn was barely a twinkle in an eye at the time. It wasn't about just getting your resume on monster and dice. I was advocating even during a recession, figure out what you want to do, figure out what you are good at, figure out what kind of role is right for you. And then position for that instead of the approach people take when they're scared no matter what the economy looks like, there's already somebody scared about their job of just how do I make them like me? Well, I'm more concerned of, do you like yourself enough to figure out what it is that is right for you? And then do you like yourself enough to figure out how to position that and then stand firm on that as much as possible? If you're gonna, you know, lose your house, I mean, we all like to eat and live indoors, right? So, you know, sometimes you have to make compromises, but I don't want people to be a victim of the job market or of their employer. I want them to take that power back, which is where I got to. I want to help people be the boss of their career. So. Love it. Love it. Man, I remember those monster.com days and and, and, and the 2008 recession. First. I, I, I remember. I have a lot of friends in the legal industry, right? And I remember 2008, 2009, legal industry got hit really, really hard, right? Like these like real estate lawyers, transactional lawyers. I had a bunch of friends that were laid off and just desperately trying to hang on to a job. And then I had one or two friends that were getting lowball offers and be like, nah, I'm not going to take that. Like they're, they're going to, they're going to, and, and everybody looking at them like, you're crazy. You're not going to find a job. And it ended up working out for them. Right. Like, yeah. like if you're, what is the, what's the compounding effect of taking a scarcity mindset to your next job when you're in need? Like, have you, have you kind of seen that play out long-term of, of somebody yeah, taking a ball offer and then affecting them for the next 15 years? Well, yeah. And what's funny about it is that especially in an age where most jurist, a lot of jurisdictions, nobody's allowed to ask you how much money you're making anymore. That's the law in a bunch of states and a bunch of cities now. It's not even in, in the past, whenever people would take a lowball offer and then have trouble getting that raise the next time they jumped a job, it was because they were telling the potential new employer, oh, I make X thousand dollars a year, which is like 25, 30% less than they should be making. Now they can't even ask that question. But in their head, they're pegged to this low salary. So they're afraid to ask for more. And most of the time, people don't even have any idea what they're worth. Like they don't know how to research it. They don't take the time. They have all those impostery feelings of there's no possible way that anybody's going to want to pay me market rate, all of that stuff. But it definitely compounds. But in this day and in this time frame, most of the time it's compounding, not because of the external system of I'm trying to go get this new job. It's our own mindset that I can't ask for what my skills and experience are worth. So there's so much internal work involved in my job. It's which I love. I actually love that part. I love seeing the the light bulbs go off when people realize, oh, I could ask for that. But yeah, it's an inside job. I feel like we can go, you know, the the inside job seems to me like a a a long process that you that that takes some like real intuitive knowledge of people and frameworks to apply and whatnot. But the, I guess where I'm trying to go is, is there a tip right now that we can give that is a, 
how do you find out what you're worth from like an external validation point so that you don't get hoodwinked mm-hmm. like that? Is there is there a trick like that? Yeah. So I love salary.com. There's a lot of different salary sites out there, including some new ones that popped up that I'm not mentioning because I haven't bought, you know, it's hard to keep up on every single new site. But salary.com for me for many years has been the best site that had a lot of data about a lot of jobs, including base salary and total compensation. And you could get free data and you could get customized reports for paid data. So what I end up having my clients do when they're working through a process is look at salary sites, preferably salary.com, but if they've got one they like better, they can do that. And look at job duties, not just job titles, because you got to figure out what level is it. You know, there's a lot of product managers or project managers. Go find the one that are you are you performing like a senior? Are you performing like a mid-level? Are you performing like a director? Whatever that is. And look at those sites and really get a feel for how your experience compares to those pay ranges for the geography that you're in. It's incredibly illuminating. Then if someone doesn't trust it, I have them pick up the phone and start calling people in their network. But I'll tell you one time that it was to my advantage to use the salary sites over what people in my network told me was about five years ago. I was interviewing for a project manager slash scrum master position at a tech company here in Kansas City. And I'd done all the work, but I had never had the job title before. It was always like, oh, you're kind of doing half and half job, whatever. You know how you know how corporate is. You have three jobs, not one job. And I called some prior bosses and friends that had hired for that role. And they told me a number. They're like, you're not going to get over X number. And then I went to the salary.com site and I vetted it against like Glassdoor, which I don't love their salary data. It's not actually very good, but I vetted it against a couple other sites and found out I could easily peg myself to 10 or $15,000 more. So I would have left money on the, and I'm not afraid to ask for more money. I would have left, it turned out roughly $12,000 on the table. If I would have just said, oh, my old boss that knows my work really well said, don't go over X amount when you're trying to negotiate for this, if I had just stopped there. Is there any downside to throwing out like a high number when you're you're trying to get a job? Like, is there there like a too high that you can't say or something like that? I think you've got to know your stuff and you've got to know where you're really at. So for me, I've always been a person that was not just performing well at my job, But I also had certifications, which are not the most important thing, but I would go get them, especially if work would pay for them. And I would speak at industry events. Like I did all the things. I was not, I was like a regionally known industry thought leader and things that I did, not just the great person in cube four on the third floor. So for me, I felt like I could always ask for a little bit towards the higher end because I was doing above and beyond, not just for my company, but for my industry. If a person is, does not have, you know, tons of experience and isn't active in the industry, they might want to ask for a little bit less to give some wiggle room. But I think it's up to every individual in that most people undersell themselves. That's what I've observed is most people undersell themselves especially it, with tech people, which is most of the people that I've worked with over, over the years. I came from the technology industry, so there's a lot of trust there. People like that I understand that the field that, they, that I, they come from, and they almost always are trying to undersell themselves. 
I do, I'm a big believer in trying to figure out the budget for the company before you start naming numbers. That's just kind of negotiation one-on-one for salaries, but it also depends on how badly you need to move. You know, if you're in danger of not being able to eat and live indoors, your stance on that might be a little bit different than if you're a passive job seeker that someone's trying to recruit out of a situation. So as with everything, the answer is it depends. <laughs> yeah, as with everything, right? <laughs> I wanna I wanna move into I think where where you and I really really can nerd out, which is the subject of networking. And I and I, you know, I've never the last job that I got with a resume or, you know, doing this kind of stuff was career fair in college. After that, it was always, you know, my network, something like that. Like I, I went, and when I talk to people that go through the monster.coms or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. the in, indeed or whatever, I don't know what the job board is these days. Right. But indeed. Like, Everybody loves the indeed right now. And I hate it, but <laughs> okay. I hate it. I Listen, hate it. I was rush chair and pledge marshal of my fraternity as well. <laughs> what fraternity? What fraternity? <laughs> Theta Chi at UF, right? Okay, so, I'm a Kappa Delta from uh, Missouri University. I'm a KD, yeah. There you, go. there you go. University of Missouri Rolla. So. Yeah. so so I feel like we're both, I, I, I do think that that like overlap of rush chair and, and new member educator or pledge marshal is a, is a specific breed of cat that loves to chop yeah. it up, that loves to help people. Talk to me about the role of, let, let, let's start from the career lens, the role of the role of networking when it comes to career and okay. career advancement. Talk, talk, to me, talk to me a little bit about that. Okay, so to me, the whole networking thing is everything in career advancement. And it's really become very clear to me in the last few years. So I live in the Kansas City area and I've been here since 2002. And I had this stunning realization recently that almost everyone that I've done business with in the last two years, I've known for at least five years, if not 10 or 15 in some way, shape or form. So last year I had a, you know, my biggest client last year was a business consulting engagement. It's a guy I met 12 years ago in an organization in town. And it was one of those deals where you look at each other and go, I know someday we're going to work together. I don't know how but someday. And so we just maintained that relationship and, you know, same story as you, I've used the resume. You know, I haven't not had a resume. I do know people that have pulled that off. It's harder than it used to be, but career fair, same thing for me. It was the last time I was really cold applying to anything was back in the college career fair days. So I figured out really fast after I got laid off two years into my career that I had to be talking to people. Because there were people with families and mortgages that had eight to 10 more years of experience than me that would literally work for the same money. And how are you going to compete with that? I mean, that internet wreck, people forget how bad it was, but there was nothing. I was in the St. Louis market at the time and it was so hard to find any job at all for, for love or money. So, but it's not just about when you're looking for a job. And I think that's the hugest mistake that people make. It's that I believe in constantly being open to meet other people and constantly being open to connect other people that you think will benefit from each other and constantly providing value to other people. I mean, that's just kind of my ethos is it's about relationships and serving other people, not about what you can do for me. So 
I sometimes coach people on this because folks feel very uncomfortable. They're always concerned that if they try to start network, start networking, especially if they decide that they need to do that when they are in the middle of a job search, especially if they got laid off, that people are going to think they're needy, they just want something, all these negative things that they worry about. And very often they use the excuse, I'm an introvert to avoid it. I'm a big fat introvert. People don't believe that about me, but I'm a big old fat introvert. I love to connect with people deeply and quickly and I have a talent for it. And so I make people feel respected and heard and that's what everybody wants. So if you do that and then you follow up having after having built the relationship a little bit with, hey, I'm starting to look for a new position doing these kinds of things with my superpowers. Do you have any ideas for me? That's a way different conversation than cold emailing somebody on LinkedIn and saying, here's my resume. Do you have a job? One of them is gross. And the other one is just figuring out how to let your friends know what you need. Totally, man. Totally. So if you are, so I, I, I believe everything that I completely agree with everything you're saying, right? Like build it before, build it before you need it. Right. Like that is, that is best time to plant an oak tree hundred years ago. So second, second best time right now. Right. So yes, exactly. if, If you are, if you're at the point where you haven't built a network, you think you're an introvert or you are an introvert, right? Like I, 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 right. I I'm, I'm with you. I think some of the best networkers I know are introverts because yep. at the end of the day, introvert isn't, do you like people or do you not like people? It just means, are you drained when you energy are putting energy. that energy out versus are you energized, right? Like I'm, yep. I'm the opposite. I'm like an extreme extrovert. I come back from a conference and it's like, I'm on crack for the next three days. My wife can't stand me. She's like, go, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. It's like Superman staring at the sun, but introverts from what I have found are some of the best, the most astute observers of value and of, and, and noticer of noticers of details and, and things that people are putting out in a way that my mind going a thousand miles an hour, getting charged up by the energy of people can't do. Right. So how do you, you know, you're an introvert, you, you do need a job, but you haven't built a network. How do you, yep. how do you, how do you start without, without, without feeling gross? And, and, and how do you, you know, wh- how do you get into conversations? What is the value that you can provide to people, right? Cause it's about providing value. How can, if you need a job, how can you provide value? So one of the interesting things about providing value, I'm going to, I'm going to talk just about the concept of providing value for Thanks. a second first. So a lot of times that's a, that's a phrase that I almost am getting sick of too. I told you before we got on the call that the word networking is starting to drive me crazy. And the term adding value is also starting to drive me crazy too. But one of the things that I believe about adding value is that value add is different ways. Sometimes it's truly, here is my skills to solve a problem for you. Or here is a piece of content I created that solves a problem for you, which is what content marketing is really all about, right? That's your life. You know, content marketing and connection through content marketing is is your professional domain. But sometimes um, just validating or seeing someone is adding value. And that's actually one of the most intimate ways to provide value to people that gets people to sit up and take notice. So an example could be that. You simply notice on LinkedIn that an old boss you haven't talked to in five years switched jobs. And just reaching out and saying, 
congratulations, Mary. I love, you know, I saw that you're now the director in charge of everything at Acme Corporation. I'm so excited for you. When things calm down, I would love to have coffee or do a, do a quick call just to catch up. That's how you start. That kind of networking is a long game. So it's not like that's going to turn into a job tomorrow. But if you start right now with those types of interactions, it's helpful. People that get promoted are very excited about that. And they'll probably message you back if you validate them in a genuine way. And you may end up on the phone with them quicker than you, than you think. I also always like to add, ask, what can I do for you? What are you worried about? Kind of like you ask at the beginning of your podcast, what is something you're vulnerable, vulnerable about right now? I'm sure that you probably will send me like links to three articles about here's how to leverage your VA, information about how you use your integrator, stuff like that. Well, if you talk to that old boss, Mary, about what's happening and you know what she's thinking about as she takes her new promotion and then follow back up pretty quickly, with here's something I think might help you. Or I just want you to know that you actually did a great job of that with our team back when we worked together at XYZ Corporation. That is providing value. It doesn't all have to be some big, big to do. You do that three times a day with three people. And by the end of the week, you touched 15 people in a meaningful way. It's huge. And then, then you start to feel, first off, more confident in doing that. Because once you've done something 15 times in a week, you feel a little bit more comfortable with it. But then you also start to see which of these people are active, you know, which of these people am I vibing with right now? And then maybe you can have that happy hour of that lunch or that Zoom phone call and say, you know what, I'm interested in hearing what's going on with you. And then maybe sharing here's what's going on with me. Hey, you know what I'm looking for? I'm really interested in a, a product management role. I'm in a stage in my life where I need to be remote. I'm really looking for like a healthcare or a financial firm that's smaller. Do you like, are there any companies you think I should check out? And then they may say, nope, can't think of anything, but send you something later. They may say, yes, I know someone at great big health insurance company. You should check them out. And then when you ask the question of, do you know anybody there? Boom, you have a name. And all you've done is just be friendly to people. Surf first and then say, hey, here's here's a little what's going on with me. Do you mind me telling you that? And then move from there. So you're smiling like really big right now. It's, yeah, because I had this like- uh-huh. I feel like I'm getting validation. You're adding value to me by validating that my approach is sound. So thanks, bud. <laughs> Yeah, if that's not a if that's not a microcosm of what we're talking about, right? Like the, yeah, exactly. My my brain went. My initial brain is like, yeah, genius. This is you know, like I I totally agree with what you're saying. People underestimate the amount of value you can give to people by acknowledging them, right? By being yes. by being their cheerleader. People Everybody- just want to be seen. Yes. They want to feel seen. Another really good way. Now this takes a little more nerve sometimes. Like can be a little bit of a jump for people sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I like to show some vulnerability on social media from time to time. So my friend Haku actually did told me about something that she did recently that I almost consider a challenge. I haven't done it yet, but she runs an organization to help veterans start businesses. And she realized she hadn't gone live in the group in a long time. And a lot of us, especially us girls, we want to make sure our hair is on point. We got our mascara on the whole nine yards. And she realized, you know what? They need to know this and they need to know it and they don't care what I look like. So she just challenged herself to get in that group, 
with messed up hair and like her makeup wasn't on and just talk to them about what they needed to talk about. So that was her way of being vulnerable. I think that we can do more of that. One of the things that makes my heart go pitter pat right now is anytime I'm scrolling through social media and I see one of my friends confess to suffering with depression, not because I'm happy that people are suffering from depression, but because I'm so glad people are freaking talking about it. It's prevalent. It was prevalent before the pandemic. It's even bigger issue now after the pandemic, but just showing people a little bit of your life instead of acting like, you know, it all is a really good thing to do. I get asked a lot. I've sourced way more business in the last couple of years off of Facebook than LinkedIn. I'm working on building LinkedIn more, paying more attention to it the last few months. But the reason is that people pretend on LinkedIn more. So there's not as much willingness to be vulnerable. But man, when you do it in an appropriate way, people eat it up and they get really interested and what's going on with you. And most people like to help others. So there you go. There you go. Back back to the beginning of the show, right? Like vulnerability yeah. leads to connection, right? And, yeah. and, and again, being vulnerable is an offer of value, right? If if you take the courage as our girl Brene d- defines it, right? Like there's- our girl, yeah. There is no, there is no courage without vulnerability, right? Like, so if you, if you take the courage to be vulnerable and you open up that space for somebody to be vulnerable about something, destigmatizing depression off offering to, to even in the vulnerability ask, some people just feel good showing up for others when they're hurting. And that is a, that is a value you can offer somebody, right? That's an all of it. Absolutely. It absolutely is. I think it was Fred Rogers that said, whenever there's a crisis, look for the helpers. Like there's always helpers. And that happens online. It can happen in a some weird Instagram feed about something that you don't expect. It can happen in your real life. It can happen when there's a burning building. It, can, it happens all over yeah. creation. It happens in the comment sections on virtual summits. And then here we are. So yeah. Another thing that a different kind of vulnerability is also just being open to stuff. So that's not necessarily sharing a problem or a struggle that you're having, but I, I promised you I had a really good story yeah, um, about networking with someone. You'll love this. So, and this is our mutual friend, Justin Schenk is involved in this particular story. So I was in Austin a week or so ago for a weekend for our mastermind. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, 12 people to three coaches in our group, that kind of volume of people. And on Friday night, we, you know, people were going to go out to dinner. So we'd asked, Hey, Justin, you can come out to dinner with us. And he's like, Nope, I got a friend named Tom. He lives in Austin. We're going to go out to dinner. And we're like, cool, man. See you later. We've got the rest of the weekend together. Well, after I, you know, I'd gone out to dinner with this other group of people from our mastermind, we go back to the hotel bar and Justin's there with his friend, Tom, who he introduces me to. And we just start chit-chatting. And one of the topics that came up was public speaking because Tom, it's Tom Singer who has, he's a podcaster and a speaker and does all kinds of things, but he was a full-time speaker and his business completely dropped off due to COVID. So we got in this whole conversation about public speaking and how does it fit into business? And I named dropped my own speaker mentor, Kim Becking, who lives in Columbia, Missouri. So We're in Texas. Tom's from Texas. Justin is from Pennsylvania. I'm from Kansas. And my friend is from Missouri. And I'll be darned if Tom doesn't know her. 
And within five minutes, like we're self sending selfies to Kim and texting back and forth and the whole nine yards. And we just completely hit it off and made this really great connection all because I was willing to say the name of a person that was helping me that was in his industry. I didn't think he knew her. I'm like, that didn't occur to me. But now I know that, you know, hey, that's just another cool person that's going to be someone I can help and someone that maybe we can work together on stuff in the future. So that is a cool story. That is a cool yeah. story. And, and, you know, I never heard of, I never heard of vulnerability expressed as just openness to connect, but it makes a lot of sense, right? Like I, if I was to reverse engineer what's happening right now, we connected really quickly because I was like, you know what? I'll take a shot on somebody on my podcast that I haven't really spoken to for more than, <laughs> you know, more than a couple of chats. Like the chat. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that's, you know, I, there's no doubt in my mind, we're going to be friends, right? Like just there's, there, there, there's enough stuff happening around us where we're, we're clearly yeah. aligned in how we think and, and who knows what happens in 12 years, maybe you're my career coach, right? Like right. <laughs> who knows? Exactly. We'll, we'll continue that. And the other thing that, the other thing that was making me smile big time before was when you were describing that the three reach outs a day that lead to 15 open connections I started thinking about it as a gratitude practice, right? Like we're, we're, yes. Oh, I love that. Whoa. Like I just, in in the old school term of when JLo was a judge on American Idol, she used to always say, I just got the goosies. So (laughs) I got some goosies at that because it is. Yeah. Yeah. It totally, like if, and again, reverse engineering it to an introvert's language, right? Like I find that an introvert that is not comfortable with networking may still be comfortable with meditation and gratitude practice because they're they're used to being introspective. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it that way, if it's just a a gratitude practice of reaching out to people to yeah. be grateful for their impact, your impact, their impact yes. in your life or whatever. Yes. I liked what you said. I liked what you said. It was helpful what you said about, you know, how to do this thing that pertains to your role. I loved learning about X that you taught me about healthcare. Like just saying, just saying that you like something is huge. Whether you do it in a PM or whether you do it in the comment section, it doesn't matter. So, and actually here's a real concrete tip for people. So very often people feel weird about trying to cold connect on LinkedIn or another social platform, but especially on LinkedIn where connection is more about do the algorithms serve up content in your newsfeed than whether you can see stuff. Because you can see pretty much everything on LinkedIn, right? But if you have someone, like, let's say you want to be really strategic. Let's say you are a product manager. I use that analogy a lot because I spent almost 10 years as a product manager. And you want to network with the director of product management at XYZ Corporation that you're interested in, one of your target companies. If you first pay attention to them, follow some of their content, and comment on their in their threads so that they know your name. Then later on, you're like, okay, I want to make this LinkedIn connection request because I like the stuff you've had to say the last couple of weeks, blah, blah, blah. I want to learn about more about XYZ Corporation. It's it, You're familiar already. You've made impressions on them by the fact that you just engaged in a conversation. So that's another tip if people feel really uncomfortable, just cold, you know, reaching out to somebody. So you have described my number one trick to finding new leads right now, right? Like yeah. I've, I've in the last, in the last six weeks, 
it became very clear that I needed to flush out my pipeline, right? Like I was kind of talking yeah. to a lot of people that thought what I was doing was brilliant, but they were never going to be my client, right? Right. And I thought to myself, well, I'm just talking, you know, one part is I need to, I think I need to explain what I do better, right? But another yeah. part is I, I'm, I'm, I need to talk to people that once they think it's brilliant, they need to be able to buy, right? So how do I do right. that? I've been networking my way through these CMO and emerging CMO communities. One's on Facebook, mm-hmm. one's on Mighty Networks, whatever. And one is very heavy on LinkedIn. And as I enter these communities, I realize that it costs me nothing to any post that somebody puts up, put a like and put a comment like, oh, that's really cool that you did that. Whether or not I have any value to offer or not, just commenting in there and and showing up and saying, oh, that's really interesting. Congrats on that. Or oh, wow, I, I didn't think of it like that. You know, I, I used to think of demand generation like this, right? Just, right? just showing up a couple of times and then you send a connection request. I find that I get the connection request back and they're like, oh my God, I love how you show up in people's comments. Do you want to take a call? And now I'm like booked up again with people showing yeah. interest in what do I do when all I did was lead in the door of value and the value was simply just showing up in comments, man. Like just yeah. liking commenting, very, very simple stuff, man. I know. And people want it to be hard. The only thing it costs you is time, which is a real consideration for people. But uh, several years back, I heard a presentation specifically about using LinkedIn more actively in your career instead of just having it be the dead profile. And the person that was speaking said, here's the thing. How much are you on Instagram and Facebook every day? take 15 minutes of it and move it to LinkedIn. And I found that to be the simplest advice ever. I literally had to mark it on my to-do list for about a month before I was really in the habit of it because I'd been kind of, I wouldn't say I had the totally dead like cobweb covered profile on LinkedIn, but I hadn't been very active until I heard in that presentation. And it made an enormous difference. I mean, just stunning how quickly it made a difference. And it didn't just make a difference in people wanting to connect with me. I started getting calls from recruiters and I wasn't even looking for a job because you sh- you're showing up. You're showing so up. another thing I like to tell people is they often are concerned about, you know, how do people know I'm legit? And if you put mm-hmm. good observations in any discussion forum, even if it's just a sentence or two, that shows people whether you're legit or not. So I'm in some product management and agile development forums on LinkedIn because that's what I did for many, many years. And those people often have questions about how to manage their career. And I'll tell you what, I can tell within about three comments if somebody knows what they're talking about or not. Yeah. You know, that's not to be negatively judgmental about them. So everyone is there to learn. But if you see that superstar that is making intelligent remarks and saying, oh my gosh, I'm having trouble getting interviews. And then I go look at their profile and figure out your problem isn't that your experience is bad. Your problem is that your profile is bad. Your positioning is bad. You're not clearly communicating to people. It's two different things. So folks that pay attention can figure out quite a lot from a few different comments or posts. Totally, totally. And that and that even works. So that's actually one of my networking speaking points of before before I became more focused on content, just in conferences, right? Like whenever whenever you're in a public forum, there's panels and there's a mic for Q and A. 
if you ask an intelligent question during that Q and A, it is yeah. a wide open, you know, like door to like yes. everybody in that room to come up to you. Right. And it's the same thing. Yes. Time. Yeah. It's this, it is the same thing. And I'll tell you what, like lately I, I have a pretty direct personality showing up how you choose to show up online is a really interesting thing too. So I have a very direct personality, but like I said, everybody likes to pretend on LinkedIn and we pretend all over social media, but they pretend in a different way on LinkedIn. And I had a very interesting experience about just a, a year and a half or so ago where I had connected with a technology executive here in Kansas city on LinkedIn. I didn't know him in person, but I will connect with almost anybody that doesn't confuse LinkedIn with tender or isn't trying to sell me SEO services. It's sort of my role. So I connected with this gentleman and later on, about two months later, I met him at a conference. And in this period, I was really not sure what I was going to do. So I was, I had kind of a softer message. It wasn't really like me, but nobody told me that this doesn't sound like you. They're just like, oh, I like your content, whatever. I meet him in person at this conference in Kansas City a few months before the pandemic, introduce myself. And he said, you're way different than I expected. And I said, tell me more. That's one of my favorite sentences is tell me more. And he said, you're a lot honorier in real life. And I said, oh, well, tell me more. And he said, I think you are hiding the best part of you from LinkedIn. So he his encouragement was, you're a direct person. You got a little bit of snark, a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of humor in there. Show it off. Stop trying to be so professional and show it off. And so I've leaned into that. And I'm not, you know, there's different ways to look at that. And everybody has different limits that suit their personality. But the more direct I am, the better the engagement, the easier it is to write the content because I'm being me, all of those kinds of things. And the higher quality of people that get drawn into your community. So. Yeah. And I think that all... I was just having this conversation with my wife this weekend about Martha Beck's newest book about integrity and how her definition of integrity is not like, you know, how good of a person you are or how honest you are. It's just how true to yourself you are and how, and how being true to yourself and and sticking to that is really hard at first. Cause you kind of shed all the BS layers and, 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 and all these like stories that you've told yourself or people have told you that you've adopted. But once you get into that, you really start to just attract all the things that. Oh, it's the, it's so much the truth. And, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot and doing a lot of work in that area. And I feel like I'm starting to hit the hockey stick. Like I'm real close to hitting that hockey stick. I hope so. That's what I tell myself anyway. It's a better story than nobody cares what you have to say. Right. Which is the story that we tell. So-and-so wouldn't want to network with me. They wouldn't care what I have to say. I hear that a lot from people who are, you know, maybe individual contributors or managers in their career and, you know, decision makers for them are at like a director or VP level a lot of times. And they think, oh, I can't, I can't reach out to them because that's not appropriate. Like they're just people. So being willing to think of the openness and being willing to think about how do I serve people like we've been discussing this afternoon, those are all the ingredients that you need to access anybody. If you send a message off to the CEO of whatever corporation or the VP in charge of 
your functional area and they don't write back, it's not like you've been blackballed. It's probably that they're busy. So try like trying is half the battle. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. This has been, you know, like I, 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 I love this conversation, right? Like, I, like, I, I, yeah. I love, like, I, I, I didn't think that we'd get so nerdy about LinkedIn networking strategy. I knew I that didn't we- either. I didn't either, but I knew because I, li- I have a rule that I listen to. I try to listen to at least two episodes of any podcast that I'm going to be on, and usually I've listened to that before I even talk to somebody about being on it. And so I knew that this would go in unexpected places. I just didn't know which unexpected places it would go. So. All right. Well, this is a place you can expect. You ready for the lightning round? Yes. Bam, 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 bam. All right. What is your favorite restaurant? Where is it? And what do you order? So it's hard to say the favorite, favorite of all time. So I'm just going to go with my favorite neighborhood place. Cool. It's called The Peanut and it's a bar. There's nice. several of them in the Kansas City area and they have the best BLT in the world. It's like if I was on death row for murder, this is the last meal that I would want. So I get a single BLT with avocado and a fried egg. And I used to always get onion rings, but like tater tots have made a comeback. So sometimes it's the tots these days. There you go. The the peanut, is this in Kansas City, Missouri? It's called the peanut. Yes. It's a bar and grill kind of place. And there's several of them. I like it. This um, is, you know, that, that section is supposed to be like a traveling food documentary of if you want to visit somewhere, go to the, you know, like wherever in the chief executive connector thing. Uh, so the peanut in Kansas city, the peanut in Kansas city. And there's like no it. matter where, no matter what part of Kansas city you're in, you're, you're within probably 15 or 20 minutes of one. Cause there's downtown ones. I'm out like in the burbs, there's other burbs that have them. It's a, it's a great deal. Right. So. Kansas City is full of peanuts. All right. What is your favorite? Uh, what content are you most into right now? This could be either what like Netflix series you're obsessed with or what book you're really, really into or whose podcast you're really listening to or whose Instagram or YouTube channel. But like, what is, what are you most kind of consuming these days content wise? Oh, I'm consuming all of the things. So I'm currently reading Radical Candor, which is Kim Scott wrote it. And Kim Scott was has been an executive at Google and Apple and like all these big places. And it's basically about building leadership culture around caring personally and challenging directly. So there's a vulnerability component to it in there too. It's have you ever read this? You're looking at me like you haven't read this. It's right. So we're we're mostly best friends, but we haven't read all the same books yet. That's fine. I need to read your Jim Collins book that you've been talking about too. So I really love that because some of the work that I've been doing with my business coaching clients is actually around creating and operationalizing a clear culture. So not snacks and foosball tables, but what are your corporate values? What do they actually look like? How do you use them within performance management and those kinds of things? So that's a direction where I'm going with that part of my business. And then on the flip side, it's helping me because uh, very often my clients who are mostly like mid-career, kind of like that late 30s to early 50s, Mm -hmm. you know, still growing in the career kind of people, but they're just over the BS of working all the time and they find themselves in culture that doesn't work for them. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of questions around how do I avoid a toxic culture? How do I avoid walking into something that's the same or worse is what I came into. So I'm reading a lot of books about that. 
That was the other place that I thought that our interview would go is corporate culture because we can get nerdy about that, but we can we can plan another conversation around that. Oh yeah, I'm all about that. Yeah, I'm like all I, about that. I think so. when we spoke, I had just done my core values exercise with my business partner, and that's why I was like super, oh. super into it. But we'll lightning yeah. round. All right, ready? Uh, right, <laughs> it's like really slow lightning. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's it's lightning. Um, what is something you were sure about in your 20s that you no longer believe? When I was in my 20s, I love this question, by the way. It is my favorite lightning round question. When I was in my 20s, I thought that what mattered the most was doing all the things and doing them well. And so as a result, what you do is swallow feelings. Mm. And so I am now recognizing, because I, I really had a tough time in the fall during the pandemic. Like I did not know how I was going to make it a very dark time. And I started therapy and the therapist I found was absolutely wonderful and helped me realize that I've basically been swallowing my feelings since I was like before kindergarten. And he's nerdy enough, like cerebral enough to explain here are the neuroscience reasons why that is a bad idea. And then also appeals to other parts of me to really figure out how to make progress on it. So now I am recognizing, embracing, and processing my own feelings. I've done it for other people really well all along. I've always taken care of other people's feelings, but not my own. So yeah. I matter, um, I guess, is my thing. So another, another, another big area of overlap of you and me, man. I like about two years ago, a bunch of therapy got me down that same path of just like, this like self-worth thing of like, you're ready to serve others, but not yourself kind of thing. And, and yes. you embrace that stuff. So yes, I can. One of the that. questions my therapist asked me at one point was what would it be like for you to choose yourself? And that's, that's like a mic drop right there. So awesome. Yeah. What is either the best singular piece of advice that you've gotten or your favorite go-to piece of advice you'd like to get? So one of my favorite pieces of advice is boiled down to a quote by a guy named Dustin Pittman that is from here in Kansas City. He and another close friend of mine, Jeff Meyer, have their own IT staffing company. And it's this, the first rule of leadership is loving people. Hmm. That was another one. When you first hear it, you get the, the J-Lo, American Idol days, Gooseys. Yeah, so. I, I just got J-Lo'd. You just got J-Lo'd? Awesome. <laughs> I just feel like I'm just, I'm just Jenny from the block right now. I don't know what's going on. You know? uh, you're, you're completely indistinguishable from Jenny from the block. You look exactly the same. So. I know it. Yeah. Listen, I, I have funny feelings about JLo, right? Like I, as a, as a Hispanic male that grew up in a vicious double standard for, for females, like I, I very much respect how she's been able to completely normalize and Americanize, you know, the, the Hispanic female persona. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like every Hispanic woman now gets judged to a JLo standard, or at least until very recently, right? Like we're getting a little bit more woke, but for the last 20 years to my sister, it's like, Oh, your name is Maria Gonzalez. You must be JLo. Hi, 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 hi. You know, it's like, "Eh, (laughs) but yeah. (laughs) So anyways, um, I'm going to link to your stuff, right? Facebook page, DKA coaching, your Facebook group, your LinkedIn page, your website, Diana.com, your resumes don't guide at dianateaches.com. But this is your moment. You know, what's the best place to connect with you? Draw attention to wherever you want people to go to next. Our friend that just 
listen to how cool you are for an hour in her ear. What's what's the next yeah. movie? Man, if I want to be. Your yeah, friend. I I would love to connect with people on LinkedIn right now. That's probably the top place to hear some of my best stuff, especially since my friend Brett fixed me, and now I'm being like direct and cool with myself on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place at right. this point. So right. well, on my website. So. Okay. Connect with her on LinkedIn. Cool. Do it. We just did it. It's been awesome so far. <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Awesome. All right, Dan. A last question that I ask everybody. Where do you find community? Okay. I find community like everywhere, especially when you think online. So, I mean, I I spend most of my time on Facebook and and LinkedIn from a business perspective, but as an entrepreneur and doing work that I love, like business and personal start to bleed together quite a lot. So part of a few communities, this mastermind group that I joined for this year has been amazing. It's a small group of people that is just like family, especially when you spend those three days together doing your weekend of climbing around in everybody's businesses. In person is interesting because with my career change and then the pandemic, I actually feel like in person is more of a struggle at this point. So, so if you have friends in Kansas city that like to geek out about corporate culture and networking, like I definitely want those people to connect with me. I have to assume, you know, John Hewlin. I, I don't know him well, but I know the name and I'm pretty sure we're connected on LinkedIn. Does he need to, does he need to be my friend? I, I think so, man. He's a Kansas City guy with an awesome vibe, great networker, you know, like he's got cool. a relationships and revenues podcast. He's a super cool guy. He's, cool, cool. He, he's a, I haven't dropped the episode yet. It comes out in two weeks, but he's been on my podcast too. So Chief cool. Executive Connector Alumni Reunion, it'll happen. I'll, I'll, I'll connect the two of you guys. All right, awesome. That'll be great. So. Awesome. Dana, this was cool, man. Like I, I knew that this would be a really awesome conversation. I, I knew I'd be pleasantly surprised with how much more you and I are actually in line than, than, than what I even thought to just begin with when we were just talking about core values or whatever, but this is totally over-delivered, right? Like I, I, I think this is, Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah. I'm glad. So. yeah this is really fun. I listen, I appreciate, I appreciate your vulnerability and going on some random dudes podcast that you just met in a chat. And, and you know, I hope that we can uh, be friends going forward. This was awesome. Cool. I do too. I'm, I look forward to getting to know you more. Right on. The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer, and I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.